We continue our summer series through the Psalms in Psalm chapter 13. If you'll make your way there with me, Psalm chapter 13. I'll give you just a moment. Make sure you've found it. Psalm chapter 13. I've titled this morning's message, Praying When I Can't See God. Now, I know some of you are super spiritual and have never had a season of life like that. But for the normal ones here who've been thrown off by adversity or had a tragedy afflict your family or you've been dealing with a battle in your life and there's been seasons where seasons of adversity where it seems God has hidden His face from you, I, I want to talk to you this morning. The rest of you can just take a nap if you don't know what that's like. But for those of you who know what it's like to feel like you're praying at a time when you can't see God, I think Psalm 13 you might find helpful this morning. It's a, it's a psalm that's written for the choir director, and as we've discussed a number of times, that word, it's just one word in the Hebrew, and the Greek translation of the Bible helps us understand that this is not just an instruction for someone who's directing music, it means literally, to the end, unto the telos, the Greek word is. In other words, David sees something that, that God's doing at the end of days, a psalm of David. Verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken, but I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, I pray that you would help us to comprehend what you are saying to us this morning. And not only what you've said through your word to us, but Holy Spirit, that you would you would awaken some hearts this morning, that you would uh, allow some men and women who are perhaps stuck in a routine of religiosity uh, to move beyond that and to again know the, the favor and the blessing of seeing God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We don't know when David writes this psalm in the season of his being king, but it's it's at a time when it seems as though his enemy is exalted or lifted up over him, verse 2. David is living in a state of defeat that seems it will not end. He feels powerless in the face of this enemy attack because he does not sense the presence of God. You know, when you feel and enjoy and know the presence of God, it can get you through just about anything. Uh, and, and when that sense of the presence of God evaporates from our lives you can almost take nothing at all. Perhaps this is when Absalom is in Jerusalem and David is on the run. We don't know the situation, but no matter the situation, what I pray to communicate to you this morning and to communicate well is that if you are spiritually stuck this morning, if you're focused on yourself or absorbed in your career or checking off a daily to-do list or just spiritually numb or paralyzed by something that happened in your life last week, last year, perhaps 10, 15, 20 years ago, missing the presence of God in your life, I, I have good news for you. David has been there. 
And David looks to the end and he sees victory from God who gives light to the eyes of those who are withering under the weight of what I'm going to call this morning soul-clouding adversity. There's only so much a man can stand. And in seasons of soul-clouding adversity, first we must recognize and lament the signs of spiritual defeat. Second, we must ask God to revive us. And thirdly, we must resolve to move forward in faith. First, we must recognize and lament the signs of spiritual defeat. We see this in verses 1 and 2. David begins as he has begun before in the Psalms. How long? This time he repeats the question four times in the first two verses. It seems the adversity that he faces will never end. And so he says, how long? How long? How long? How long? As we learned a few weeks ago, how long is a biblical way of expressing the realities of unbearable sorrow while at the same time asking that God would intervene and deliver us? It's a way of saying this, God, I know that you are in control, but I am just about to give up. Or maybe you already have given up. I'm suffocating under crushing circumstances this morning. A lost job, an addiction in the family, a nagging sin that keeps you falling down over and over again. I'm failing in my marriage. I've been childish and petty and foolish and focused on myself. And I don't know how to begin the process of releasing all that and giving it all back to God. I know I'm supposed to enjoy being used in the service of God and service to others. But there's always some situation lurking in the background that seems to bring me down. And God, if I'm really honest this morning, I'm desperate to be truly alive. And that only happens when I know the fullness of your presence and your favor in my life. God, that's where I want to be this morning. Maybe that's your prayer this morning. I I need to be honest with God afresh. I'm desperate for God to enliven me and to allow me to behold his face. Yes, though as a in a mirror dimly now, but later face to face. Though the word lament does not occur in this psalm. The psalm begins with lamentation. That's what you're reading in verses 1 and 2. To lament is to feel sorrow or regret over something or to mourn over something. Lament is the appropriate response to the spiritual dryness of our lives. To acknowledge the reality of our deadness and to say, God, I'm tired of existence. I'm broken. Now build me up. God, I don't want to give up, but unless you move, I'm dead because I'm living a spiritually defeated life, and that's not really living. I need victory over sin or greed or unkindness or selfishness or impatience or joylessness or pettiness or arrogance or outbursts of wrath and anger and any host of other evils this morning. I'm tired of lingering here in this dry and weary land. God, so heal me, revive me, raise me up from the ashes and make me truly live. Is that you this morning? Now, you see, David is honest about the effects of the adversity in his life. I think so often as believers, we want to just bypass the yucky stuff. We feel like we're too dirty to tell God what he already knows. We're too broken on the inside to acknowledge to God what he already knows about us. But David begins with where he is. And he says, how long, O God, am I going to persist in this condition? How long will I not behold your face? And he analyzes his distress in three ways. With relation 
to God with relation to himself and with relation to his enemy. First, he doesn't seem to be living in victory at the moment. And he tells God, God, I think you've forgotten me. This happens, by the way, when the freedom and the flow of the Holy Spirit is absent in our lives. Yes, you may have trusted Christ. You might be indwelled with the Holy Spirit. But it's been a long time since you've been filled up. It's been a long time since you've been filled up to overflowing. When you've been, couldn't, where you couldn't wait to get to church on Sunday morning to hear the Word of God. When you couldn't wait to be able to pray with other Christians. When you couldn't wait to get to Sunday school, when you couldn't wait until God showed you an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody who was dying and bound for hell unless they confessed the gospel, when you were living the real joy-filled, spirit-filled life, and in those seasons when it seems that God is absent, we believe that God has forgotten. But God is there. That's why we call out to Him. We know He's there, though He seems so far away, even absent. It seems He's forgotten. Which is why David asks in verse 1, How long will you cause your face to be hidden from me? It's interesting to me that the Holy Spirit inspired these words. The Holy Spirit who seems absent from David. The, the desire to see and to know and experience God is something that he's not experiencing. And yet the Holy Spirit allows him to record these words. And to ultimately to give us, if you review Psalm 13 uh, closely, he's giving us a prophetic portrayal of the life of Christ on our behalf, who one day would die and his eyes would go dim. And unless God intervened and enlivened him and woke him up, there would be no life for Christ and no life for us. The hiding of someone's face symbolizes a broken relationship. The enemy wants to steal from you the soul-satisfying fellowship with God for which you long this morning, the path to enjoying the life God has for you begins with acknowledging that you are desperate for a move of God in your life. Are you desperate for a move of God in your life? Secondly, David analyzes his trouble with respect to himself. His mind is consumed with his present difficulties. Look at verse 2. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? You ever been faced with a conflict or an adversity that it just consumes your heart and your life and your mind with the what-ifs and the whys and the wherefores and you can't get your mind off of the thing that is vexing you and allow it to be cleared out so that you can actually focus on God Almighty again. And David says, how long do I have to live this way? When, when our minds are consumed by the distractions of the enemy, it clouds our view of God. It produces sorrow or grief in our hearts. David is so consumed by the magnitude of the assignment that he has as king and the challenge of the enemy in the camp that it daily consumes his heart, his inner man. Have you ever been there? All you see is sadness as your mind races with the what-ifs that come with enemy attack. When what we really long for is to be alive in God. Do you long to be alive in God? To be able to serve Him in spirit and truth. To, be, to know Him and to be known by Him. And to enjoy fellowship with the people who share that same desire. That's where David is in verses 1 and 2. Finally, David evaluates 
this conundrum with respect to his relationship to God in terms of his relationship to his enemies. He reminds God that the enemy is winning. He says, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? Biblically, to be conquered is to be lower than one's enemies. David looks up. He does not see God, but he sees the enemy standing over top of him. The enemy is whatever, by the way, the enemy is whatever is standing between you and honoring the king with your life in the pursuit of his mission. And David knows God does not want the enemy to be victorious over God's king. So he asks God, how long? How long? And after telling God, and this is the step, by the way, in the sermon that I think we, we race past. We say we want revival, but we never tell God the truth about the condition of our heart. David begins with the condition of our heart. He begins with honest terminology about the soul-deadening impact of the adversities in his life. And then, he does the second thing we must do. We must ask God, as David did, to revive us. It's important to remember that God chose David for this assignment. David didn't pick it. The same is true for us. God interrupted our so-called lives and instead rescued us and gave us real life and set us apart to Christ and to His mission. And His mission is at odds with the agendas of the world. Did you know that? The mission of God is at odds with everything else you're facing in life and in the world. Which is why it's so easy to feel like there's enemy opposition, there's adversity, there's a world, there's a, our own fleshly desires, there's the devil, which means there are sometimes dark seasons of the soul which remind us where we must go for life. Don't miss the opportunity that comes with the dark season of the soul to cultivate an even greater dependence upon the God who saved you in the first place. R.C. Sproul has said this way, spiritual depression is real, and it can be acute. We ask how a person of faith could experience such spiritual lows, but whatever provokes it does not take away from its reality. Our faith is not a constant action. It is mobile. It vacillates. We move from faith to faith. And in between, we may have periods of doubt where we cry, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. The reason David even knows that he is dying is because he has known what it is to be alive. That's an that's a amen point right there. The reason some of you this morning have known the joy of being filled up to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, but it's been a long time since you've been there and you've been checking the box. Do you all know what offering envelope Christianity is? It, you remember when you used to have the offering envelope that had the check boxes down the side? Didn't that make you feel good? I read my quarterly. I brought my offering. I tithe. I, I even made some contacts this week. I even brushed my teeth and did all these other things. You know what? You can check every box on the list and be dead on the inside. God Himself has to move in your heart and show you His face. And you've got to stop checking the boxes. You're not impressing God by your box checking. You impress God. Well, you don't really impress Him. 
but God moves when you stop trying to be impressive and you recognize your utter dependence upon God for life and for godliness. And when you come to that place and say, God, I am nothing, you are everything, overtake me, overwhelm me, consume me, that's what I desire, that's when you find life. And some of you this morning have put a bunch of Phariseeism right back on top of the life that God's already given you. And you need to get rid of that stuff and you need to get back to a holy dependence upon God himself. Are y'all here this morning? I don't want to fake it. I don't want a church of fakers. I don't want a church of pretenders. I want a church of spirit-empowered overflowing, filled up, holy people so consumed with the mission of God that nothing will stand in their way because of what God is doing on the inside. And when that really happens, there's a whole lot of silly, superficial stuff out there that just isn't going to matter in your life anymore. The reason David even knows he is dying is because he has known what it is to be Alive. I'm speaking to Christians this morning. I'm speaking to you who have known what it is to be alive and you're tired of faking it. You want the holy God of the universe to consume you again. To overtake you again. Some of you this morning might need to feel a liberty to just come and say, that's where I am and I'm going to pray while Daniel preaches. The same is no doubt true for us. There's some who've been alive, but you feel dead on the inside. It's time to stop faking it. David speaks forcefully to God in verse 3. He actually speaks words of commands to God. He says, consider me, answer me. The word consider comes from a word that means to see or to look at. David has already acknowledged that God's face is hidden in verse 1. And he knows that life is found when we can see God. When God looks on us and our condition and He answers us graciously. When God intervenes and He allows us to see His face and to live, God must move in order for us to be healed. Some of you need God to move in your life this morning. And you need to start by saying, God, I'm sick of it and I want you to move in my life. Here in verse 3 we find the heart of David's prayer, that God would enlighten his eyes as God enlightened the eyes of Christ our Savior when he raised him from the deadness of the tomb, that the Lord would give him the victory that only comes when we are alive in God, when our eyes are not dull to the things of life, by brightened by, but brightened by Christ who is the light and the life of men. David frames his prayer in stark terms. I learned this week something about praying from David. He prays in terms of life and death. God, I'm either going to die by not seeing you, or you're going to open my eyes, and you're going to allow me to not sleep the sleep in death, but to live. And when you pray with life and death in the balance, God is never neutral. Because God is the Lord of life. As Longman writes, here's what David is implying. He is implying that he knows that God doesn't ultimately want the enemy to win. What assurance we have. If you're walking in a dry and weary land this morning, we can look to David's prayer and we can have the confidence that God does not want you to stay in a dry and weary 
land. Some here this morning have eyes that are spiritually dim. Satan wants you to write it off as just another Sunday. It's just another sermon. A few minutes ago, the Spirit of God was speaking to some of you, and you just want to stuff it down and not think about it. You don't want to deal with it. But today might be your day. This might be your moment. God might through the preaching of His Word, not because I'm the preacher, but because Psalm 13 was for you and the Spirit of God is here and now, He might be speaking to your soul right now. God wants you to feel a fresh move of Him in your heart and enliven you and awaken you and use you in ways that you didn't dare to dream or hope or imagine. And some of you are going to stuff it down and walk out of this building into your Sunday school class, into your car, into your parking lot, and you're going to go have lunch and say, wasn't that a nice message? Or maybe wasn't that an awful message? Please don't do that with what God wants to do in your heart this morning. Look at verse 4. The enemy wants to declare victory in your life. God, if I die, my enemy will say I have overcome him and my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. The enemy wants you to die. The enemy wants you to fail, to move from distraction to distraction rather than finding meaning and purpose in the mission of God in the world. The enemy wants to sideline you with a life that is consumed by things that are not essential to life. You can write that down. God, it's so easy to live there, isn't it? It's so easy to live right there. And the enemy will sideline you for five years and ten years and twenty years and thirty years. And you'll keep checking that box. Looking back to what it was to know the fullness and the flow and the freedom of the Holy Spirit. Wondering why you don't experience it now. I like Coca-Cola. Real Coke. You know what I'm talking about? Like Coke to Mexico Coke. The stuff that's got sugar in it. Not even, what is it, corn syrup? It's just got sugar. Isn't sugar good? I love sugar. You know what I don't like? You know, there's all this fuss about Coke Zero versus Coke. Now it's zero sugar. I, I don't care. It's a diet product. I don't like diet products. I like fat I like sugar. I like hydrogenated oils. I like butter, not margarine. I don't like fake stuff. And neither should the Christian when it comes to spiritual life and spiritual things. And I'm convinced this morning that there's some of us who have had one too many Coke Zeros, spiritually speaking. Perhaps you're not engaged in serving because you're dying on the inside and you're covering it up with a bunch of substitutes. Perhaps you look the part, but it's all a show. God knows the heart, and perhaps today is the day that God is saying to someone, repent of accepting a Christless Christianity. Perhaps you need to come to God and say, let me see your face again. Renew the joy of my salvation. Open my eyes and make me alive to Jesus and His mission in the world. And we believe 
that God can do it. Because Paul says in Romans 8.11, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life. Not just breathing and having a pulse rate. Real spiritual life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Some of you this morning need to start with God and you need to be honest. I'm sick of not seeing your face. I'm sick of this turmoil that's going on in my heart and soul all the time. And I want you to revive me. And you may need to linger with God. You may need to, this, this may not be a five-minute prayer. It might be a week-long prayer process. But at some point, you need to then get to verses 5 and 6. We must resolve to move forward in faith. We must resolve to move forward in faith. You see, this psalm begins with David singing the blues. But it ends with his confidence that he will sing to the Lord. David's faith begins, brings confidence of a future singing and a future rejoicing that is based on God's bountiful provision. In the Hebrew, in verse 5, the word I is placed at the beginning of the sentence for emphasis. As Kidner writes, however great the pressure is, the choice is still David's to make, not the enemy's. And God's covenant remains. If you've given your heart to Christ, if you know what it is to have been alive and to be alive, and you've substituted all these other things in the world, here's what David recognizes. I can still go to God. I don't have to listen to the enemy. I don't have to listen to the stuff in my heart. I can still go to God. David has trusted once and for all, verse 5, even in the valleys, and he's trusted in the loving kindness of God. The word loving kindness is very difficult to translate with just one word. It means the covenant faithfulness of God. It means that God is unwilling to abandon His promise of life and blessing for His people. So even this morning, if you feel lifeless, you can be saved by a God who is unwilling to abandon His pledge of real life for you. God will complete His salvation. He will provide safety and security necessary to maintain that salvation forevermore. And he does it in a city, Isaiah 60, 18, in a city that is called salvation, where we will sing and rejoice in the King who was died and raised to deliver us from death. Kidner tells us that David speaks of God's bounty or the completeness of the harvest in David's life in the past tense. Do you notice this? In verses 1 and 2, David is a wreck. By, verses, by verse 6, he says God's already done it. He's already completed. How can he do that? It springs from David's certainty that he will have a song to offer when he looks back. This is so key. When he looks back on the whole way in which he has been led. Perhaps this morning, the season of soul-shaking adversity has been so that you could come to a point of greater dependence on an almighty God who always delivers. So in seasons of adversity, in seasons when we feel abandoned, we can say with Paul, I know whom I've believed 
And I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. 2 Timothy 1-2 Because on that day we will say, not in the assurance of faith, but in the assurance of sight, God has dealt bountifully with me. God finishes what he starts. And if God finishes what he starts, that's an awfully good reason to pray to God that he would revive us. And that we would linger in prayer until we depart different than we arrived. Would you bow with me? Our Father and our God, revive us, O Lord. Revive us by the light of Your Word. Help us not only to affirm mentally that You are God. Help us to know it deeply within the core of our being. Help us to be so consumed with Your Spirit and with Your presence and to be filled up to overflowing that sin has no stronghold in our life. That it has no appeal for us. But God, that Your mission and Your people and Your salvation going to the ends of the earth would have an overwhelming appeal and a soul-satisfying joy that is inexplicable. God, we pray. We long for You to enliven us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I invite you to stand as we sing our song of response. I don't know how you need to respond this morning. I know I've needed to respond to this message even before I preached it. Maybe you just need to come and do spiritual business with God. Maybe... Maybe what you need to do with the Lord is longer than something that could be done at the front of a church sanctuary. But I beg you and I urge you in Jesus' name, if the Spirit of God is wrestling with your heart this morning, don't leave and stuff it down. Let's go to the Lord as we sing.